More money, more problems. More money, more problems. So weird. <clears throat> Having money and assets and shit. I know. Well, I don't have anything yet, so <laughs> I am problem free. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hey, Liz. How's it going? It's December. It's we December. Made it. We made it. We have been mm. chewed up and spit out at the end of this year. I am bloody, sweaty, gross, but <laughs> I can see the end. The end is near. Yeah, crawling to the finish line, all of us. So we've been talking about heavy stuff this entire season. We've been talking about COVID and George Floyd's murder and the subsequent national reckoning around race and the election and we are so excited to talk about other things so i am stoked to get into some lighter fare today yeah totally i don't think i've ever been more excited to talk about just fairly inconsequential things non-exist things that are not existentially threatening yeah absolutely i'm like i don't think i've ever been that excited to talk about such things um which is what we're getting into today and I'm super excited. Um, but before we start there, I just wanted to see what was on the top of your mind. Um, so I am immediately after declaring that this is going to be a later episode, I am going to be a buzzkill. No! But I know, I know, but it's real. It's what's on the top of my mind. I True. was gutted to learn on Friday morning that Tony Shea died. What a horrible story. It was a terrible story. Um, if you're not familiar, Tony Shea was the CEO of Zappos, the popular online shoe website. He was 46. And I am deeply skeptical of venture capitalists and millionaire tech entrepreneurs, but I really liked Tony Shea mm. because he was a huge proponent of the idea that work should be good for the employees and for the community. I don't know if you've read anything about Zappos, but they have like such a unique company culture. Like there's no hierarchy. They spend tons of time on team building and it totally shows, right? Like it's a fabulous company to buy from. Their customer service is unparalleled. The employees are really happy and that shows in how they work. And it's just like a joy to shop with them, even for something as insane as like shoes, which sounds completely crazy, right? And Tony Shea was this super interesting figure because like he doesn't care about shoes. Like I heard him say in an interview that he only owns two pairs and he lived in this like 240 square foot Airstream. His salary was $36,000 a year. He worked in a cubicle alongside all the other employees, but he cared a lot about people and creating work environments that were good and life-giving, which would then make Zappos a good experience for customers. And he was super committed to revitalizing downtown Las Vegas, where Zappos was headquartered. And ever since he started his downtown project, Thousands of tech folks have moved there to work and live and to start businesses. And by all accounts, he was this like modest, humble person. So I feel like 2020 has been this like streak of like good ones dying young, you know, mm -hmm. like yeah. um, my friend Jason, who I talked about last season and 
Chadwick Boseman, who we didn't even get a chance to talk about because so many other things were happening. Like it just it feels like another one of the good ones is gone, and that's really sad. Yeah, I didn't. You know, I have to say, I didn't really know much about him or that he that he was the CEO of Zappos. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just I don't think any. First of all, no one deserves to die in that way. I mean, it's such a horrific story mm-hmm. um, in a house fire, right, mm-hmm. in Connecticut. I'm so I was really sorry to hear that news. I mean, like you said, like anybody reading about that can see like what a huge loss this is for the world. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like it hit me on another level, too, because it feels kind of close. Like Tony Shea is Taiwanese American. His dad was college roommates in Taiwan with one of my parents' best friends. His mom graduated from the psych department at National Taiwan University four years before my mom did. So like it just it feels strangely close, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And they're just aren't yet a lot of Taiwanese Americans who can who we can say like really made an impact on mainstream culture but Mm -hmm. Tony Shea was one of them and it sucks that like he's gone now and he like had just retired in August so he had this like whole next chapter ahead of him right like Kobe who you know fellow 2020 casualty Kobe and Yeah. yeah it's just sad on so many levels you know Anyway, that's what I've been thinking about, just like surprisingly gutted by this loss. Mm-hmm. But what's top of mind for you, my friend? So top of mind is kind of interesting uh, for me. It's, uh, you know, we've all been watching Netflix a lot. I just finished watching The Queen's Gambit. People love Queen's Gambit right now. I have to say, I haven't binged the show. I usually have um, binge discipline. Mm-hmm. I like spacing out shows, but I spent the entire Thanksgiving weekend binging the queen's gambit it's like seven episodes mm-hmm. um but just sterling television it is wow. it grips you from the very very beginning and it's so well paced and it just keeps that energy throughout the entire series wow the other thing i like about it is that it was a very complex uh female character lead mm-hmm. which i feel like has been much more of a trend um in the last couple years Uh, Just a lot of, you know, like, you know, I think Hollywood, you know, you have to give it credit where credit's due. I think it has responded in some ways Mm -hmm. to the representation issues. And we're seeing, I mean, I think for the benefit, right, we're seeing such interesting and diverse characters in a way we haven't before. Mm -hmm. Um, At least that's the way I feel about it. And she, you know, she, her her character, Beth Harmon, is a is a flawed character. And, Mm. you know, and I think that's that's what we've always wanted. We didn't we don't want just like mythologizing and like, you know, we don't, we want like complex, interesting characters, whether they're yeah. male, female, we, we just want interesting characters at the end of the day. Yeah. And another one that I recently finished, um, and I haven't really told you that I've been following the series, but I got into Avatar, the last airbender, the, um, the cartoon, it's just mm. something that I watched during lunch breaks. It's like, you know, 20 minutes. And I just, you know, I heard some nice things about it from people. So I was like, okay, let's just watch. It. I'm not a, cartoon person or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know i found it interesting it was a fun show i think it has great messages for kids and very interesting themes that are kind of eastern inspired uh asian type of philosophies like buddhist principles that they weave into sort of like messages for kids and Hmm. interesting plot lines and characters and stuff so on netflix um that was on and then the sequel was called uh cora the the legend of Korra. So it's like, it takes place years after the last airbender story ends, like two generations later that this is where it's set. And the lead character, um, she's the avatar 
is um, a female lead named Cora. Mm-hmm. And um, anyways, spoiler alert, I don't want anyone to be spoiled by uh, watching this. But basically, it, it follows like this traditional like romance time, like plot line. So Cora kind of goes for the guy, they break up. And then there's another woman introduced, her name is Asami. Mm-hmm. And she gets with that guy and then you know it's like a they set it up as a sort of like you know two two women going after one guy kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know but then the two women become friends Hmm. and then there were very strong overtones that this was like more than just a friendship Hmm, interesting throughout the thing and then in the final scene they kind of go further and they like go like basically the final scene the finale is them going on an adventure together just the two of them mm-hmm. and then they like hold hands and then they kind of like look at each other longingly okay okay right uh-huh. and so then you know i go online i'm like oh was that what i think it was and surely enough you know this was i think it aired in 2013 or so 20 i might be getting that wrong 2013 2014 uh-huh. and yeah it's a, it's a kids show it's a uh-huh. kids cartoon show and they yes like the creators they confirmed that this was a a queer storyline mm. that they were building from the beginning mm-hmm. right and it's you know like that there are two bisexual women that are in at the end in, strongly implied that they're in a romantic relationship mm-hmm. at the end right mm-hmm. so which is apparently in, and they were talking about it in context and basically they were like we we recognize that these relationships are really important to represent especially in the domain of like kids television hmm. right or fa- kids in family television and it's really that's like a domain and especially in cartoons it's like never it's like a unwritten rule that you won't be talking about this, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm kind of curious to see what you think about this because at first, on one hand, you know, we talk about representation a lot, and it's like it's important and all that. On the other hand, I'm like, well, if you're going to do it, you should just do it all the way, right? Yeah, yeah. Just commit to it. Just commit to it because, as it stands, it's sort of like you're still implying that there's a problem with this relationship that you can't fully show on screen. Sure, sure. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know. Like, I have, like, very complex thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Um, on Again, on one hand, you're happy that, you know, they're trying to break ground, but at the same time, if I were queer, I'd be like, this still feels funny, right? It still feels mm-hmm. like you're trying to say that that there's something that needs to be hidden. So, you know, and then on top of that, the complexities of, like, representing something like this in the kids' shows and, like, mm-hmm. all the criticisms that they did receive, you know, and all the complaints that they did receive. Um, I don't know. Very interesting uh, food for thought. That's kind of like what's been on top of mind for me. So, yeah, I mean, I can totally see what you're saying. And I totally agree with that, that like you, sh- if you're going to do it, you should just commit. Right. At the same time, I could also see that it's like them pushing a boundary in a way. You know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. I feel like the question is, who is this for? If this is mm-hmm. for queer people, then yes, by all means, you should commit to this and like not suggest that this is something that needs to be danced around or hidden, right? But then if this is for mainstream society, which is still quite homophobic, then I could see how this is an effective strategy to put it in there, make it ambiguous, and then like kind of like incept people a little bit and then like push the boundary forward a little bit and like not make a huge deal about it. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful way to uh, a, a really helpful way to put it. Like who is it for? What is it intended for? So, yeah. 
if you read the interviews with the show creators, like it's very clear that their intent, their intention is the mainstream audience. Sure. And trying to push through a boundary that, yeah, to, to push through a boundary like in kids' television and entertainment to yeah. normalize this. So I thought that was interesting. But I think it's just a broader point about I'm really loving the interesting characters and storylines that you just don't see in genres like kids' television. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's very compelling. It's very good. It's super interesting. Um, okay. So now that the election is behind us and a vaccine is on the horizon, I now have mental space to think about other things. And what I was thinking about this weekend was holiday shopping. I was ready for Cyber Monday this year, which I never am. Maybe because I like I'm used to buying more things during the pandemic to like make our new life manageable. I've been buying online a lot. Like I feel for the first time in my adult life, like I was ready to tackle some holiday shopping. What, what does, can I ask you, what does being ready for online shopping mean? Does that mean that you did all the research on things that were going to go on sale or were you just like, I'm ready to wake up and be on this computer all day? That is an excellent question, Chris. And I'm very glad you asked. So up until this point, like there was only one sale that I like Cyber Monday sale I do every year, which is like we get our holiday cards on Cyber Monday without fail. So that means that that all has to be made and addresses procured and all that. So that's one thing that it means. But this year I was like, these are the things that I need. It looks like these places are going to have sales. These places are already teasing their Black Friday sales. I'm going to wait until Cyber Monday because sometimes they sweeten the deal on Cyber Monday. I just knew exactly what I needed to get. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to get my sunscreen. You know how I feel about sunscreen. I was like, it's on sale for 30% off at Anthro. I'm going to get as many as I need to get that free shipping. J. Crew is going to have a ton of stuff on sale, and I'm still missing all these winter essentials because I like my California life washed away all of my winter clothes. So, like, I knew I was going to go there. Oh, and then I knew that, like, there are some things that, like, we're upgrading some light fixtures in our house. And I was like, I'm going to wait and see if anything goes on sale for Cyber Monday. So, boom, boom, boom. I knew what I had to do. It was need driven. Like, you had needs, and it was like you're waiting for Cyber Monday. Yes, exactly, exactly. And then I had like a sense of what the kids were going to want. And like, not everyone does a sale on Cyber Monday, but like, I had a sense of what I was looking for, which as somebody who hates shopping is not something that I usually do. Right. And it's yeah. it's so key, right? That's where I get lost because Cyber Monday came and I'm like, I should take advantage of this. This is what happened on Prime Day. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, I should take advantage of this. But I don't know what it is. And then I spend all day just browsing for things I don't need or Mm -hmm. don't want. But I'm like, I could want this. I could need this. So, for example, Prime Day this past year was the first time I participated. And I went in like a complete noob. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I had no plan, no strategy. Mm -hmm. And I ended up buying like a bamboo press like a tofu press made out of bamboo Uh i'm like why did i buy this that's like the one thing i came out of (laughs) amazing a tofu press why did i buy a tofu press for all the tofu you're pressing i've had tofu like twice i've like i've pressed tofu twice in my life and i have a tofu press now amazing but that's how they get you right they create this like urgency this like closing window and they induce panic really right like you have to get this it will never be this good again so anyway i was like super ready to tackle holiday shopping except for the big question which hits me every year 
every Christmas, every birthday, every Mother's and Father's Day, what to get my parents. Yikes. I am 37 years old, and I still do not know how to shop for my parents. It is... (laughs) As hard as it's ever been, maybe harder because now uh-huh. I can't like draw something and hand it to them and have them applaud me for it. So yeah. I am super excited to talk about this with you. What uh-huh. is your experience of getting presents for your parents? And like, what are the things that make this complicated or not or not complicated in your case? Maybe very poor gift history with the parents. Really? Um, I mean, it's been very poor. I mean, I just don't. Like you, I have like no idea how to do such a thing. And it's changed over time, as you've already referenced, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think I stopped, you know, like at a certain age, you can't craft things anymore for your parents, (laughs) right? At at some age, I mean, to use a money ball line, you know, at some age, you're told you can't play the kid's game anymore. Right, right, Um, right. And so, yeah, at some, and then there's this weird interim time when you're you're too old to craft but you're still using and relying on your parents money. Yes. So it's like do you use your parents money to buy your parents a gift? That's, yes. That seems weird. Complicated. And then yes, and then there's the period of life where you just started work and so still you don't have enough money but you're you're probably hurting yourself financially by buying them a gift, which again is not great. And then you're at our stage now where you have like you have the latitude to buy whatever you need to buy, but what do you buy people that already pretty much have everything and they're probably in a position to buy you things that you don't have, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I have not come up with a good answer. And so I've had some fumbling attempts in the past. So I don't know. Like, how do you think about it? Like, what, 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 you know, there's so many different gift giving principles. There's like gifts that are sentimental, there are mm-hmm. gifts that are useful and practical, there are gifts that, you know, are are valuable and accrue value over time. There's interest-based ones. Like, do do either of your parents play golf? No. Oh, I'm. I mean, my dad flirted with it for like two years uh-huh. in the way that most okay. Asian parents do at some point. Whether or not it sticks is the open question, but it did not really stick for my parents. I think dads, in particular, if they golf, it's like mm-hmm. the ultimate backup card, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you can always get something golf-related. And it, it'll be fine, right? Mm. Like they'll always lose golf balls. And right, so like right, right. a set of really nice <laughs> golf balls are really good. It's like your um it's like your automatic out. So that would be your like interest based gift, right? right? Which right. you know, I can tell you from experience, my parents have no interest in anything. Yes. God, that is so real. Is that is that an immigrant thing? It might be. That's a good point. Because I don't know about your parents, but my parents, it's like I was their hobby, or me and my sister <laughs> were their hobby. I was their hobby. I was their entertainment. I was their intellectual stimulation. I was their social life. I was everything. And so now that that's not in the picture, it's not like I can gift myself. Yeah. Know? God, that's so interesting. Um, I just feel like my parents worked a lot, or at least my mom. My mom has always worked a ton, and she like loves her work. So you know, she gets a lot of joy and satisfaction around that, which is amazing. But it just meant that like, she just never had hobbies literally up until the pandemic. She like my brother and I are just like, what do you get for like the woman who needs nothing and has no hobbies, right? Impossible. And then my dad, like his hobby Mm -hmm. now is like 
I don't know, playing the stock market. And like, I am not interested in enabling any kind of like legalized gambling. So that that's out. Can't do that. Um, he likes watching TV. So we once got him a Netflix subscription and he was like, you can never get this from me again because I just like, he like didn't sleep for two days watching Marco Polo. So is it harder to shop for your mom or for your dad? I think my dad, because my mom, like we could always default to like a manicure or a massage. Like there are like things that she enjoys, even though it seems so trite. It's so, it feels so trite to get somebody that, um, which is why I'm not crazy about it. And also because my mom gets regular massages for her like back pain anyway. So it's like, it's not like a, it feels like a medical necessity (laughs) more than like a luxury. (laughs) But like to to go back to your question, like what is my tactic? Like I have all of the above. I have tried all of those things to varying degrees of success. It's like grabbing a handful of spaghetti and throwing it at the wall and seeing what works at any particular time. We've tried sentimental. It works really well when grandkids are involved. So like, you know, calendars of the grandkids, like my parents really liked that. I feel like that's in some ways a more strategic play because like, like you said, like now that my parents have made it, like they don't need things and they- are very comfortable buying whatever they want, whenever they want. So sentimental, I feel like is a good way. Like I, I last Christmas, I was like, I, I, I tried, I tried that angle where I was like, I think the best gift and the best thing that I can do for my parents now that I live closer to them is like actually spend time with them. So like, I got my mom a mom daughter date, which is like so cheesy, but we've never done that kind of thing before. You know, like this is my first time living here. Did it come like on a card? Like a coupon book? Did I make a coupon book for my mom at 36? (laughs) No, I wrote it in a card, which is also like, I feel like I excel in like holiday cards. I can write a very good card. The gift is going to be hit or miss for my parents at least. So I was Mm. like, I like, was like let's do this twice well the, there's a city in the in between where we live where you can like get a manicure and get like tea like afternoon tea um mm. and we were able to do that once before the pandemic and that was actually really lovely and i feel like that's the that's the strategy i'm going to do and then for my dad my dad loves james bond movies so i was like when the new james bond movie comes out let's like go see it and eat lunch together like i think that he would like like that and that would be mm-hmm. great for me to like spend some time with my parents like one-on-one without without my kids which I never get to do would have been great except the pandemic happened and I don't think the James Bond movie came out at all (laughs) so it's great because you have like a birthday like idea in your back pocket that you can bust out but I've already given it I see so I feel like I still have to fulfill my obligations from Christmas 2019 and come up with something new for Christmas 2020 that they could possibly enjoy during a pandemic, which is going to force me into buying things again, which is like mm-hmm. not super effective as we've as we've okay. discussed. So my mom did get a hobby over COVID, which she's like suddenly deeply obsessed with opera, which fabulous. Okay. Great. So like every day, I guess the Met releases one opera a day for it's available for 24 hours and every single afternoon she watches an entire opera. What? I know. My mom is like she's like gone full immersion. So for her birthday, 
my brother and I got her a subscription to the Met where she can access like their whole library of operas. So I'm like, how's this going to work? She's going to watch like two operas a day now. I don't know how this is going to go. And we also got her like this like encyclopedia of operas, like help her like understand, like so she could learn about like background and context and like stuff that she wouldn't get just watching it. And she loved that. So it helped that she got a hobby that we could then support. But she didn't get a hobby until she was like 71 years old. Yo, these these seem like excellent gifts, Liz. Uh, I am leaving out all the times when we've gotten them Red Robin gift cards because they like taking the grandkids (laughs) to Red Robin or Outback Steakhouse (laughs) gift cards because they like getting blooming onions. You know what? I'm I'm glossing over a lot of terrible ones. You're 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 sharing the greatest hits. Yeah, this is my highlight reel. This is my highlight reel because and sometimes we just don't know and we're just like, like we will just roll this over and say we're getting them something for both Mother's Day and your birthday so we can like kick the can down the road. I was just struck by the fact that you say we a lot, so it's like you and your brother are, are conspiring together on mm. this. Yes, absolutely. I feel like I don't have a co-conspirator in this. Why because- not? I, th- I think my sister and I have very different ideas about the gifts. Okay. Or, I, you know, actually, I think my sister and I have a fundamentally different understanding of our parents. Oh, my God. Tell me everything. Typically, what happens is I'll come up with a gift idea. Uh-huh. She will say, I don't think that's a good idea. Right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then and then doesn't that provide any other constructive thing? <laughs> but then, so her idea of a great gift will be like tickets to something like a show that's outside of their comfort zone, mm. right? So there was a period where my sister was really into like getting them like Cirque du Soleil tickets. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I'll be fair to my sister. Like when we do go to them, my parents are like, they're happy we went, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But when they receive these tickets, like they, <laughs> my dad's reactions are like, usually parents are supposed to be like polite. Like, oh, thank you. Like that. My dad is actively like, Please, for the love of God, don't get us these tickets anymore. Please. Because it's so burdensome for him to have to like drive to LA through mm. traffic, mm-hmm. watch this show that he does not understand. Right. Because <laughs> again, it's supposed to be outside of his comfort zone. Like he doesn't really get the purpose of performance art or, yeah. you know, yes, like in concept, an opera is a very classy and nice thing, especially at the Walt Disney Hall. Yes. But like in practice, he's so bored that he falls asleep every single time. Right. And it's like this thing he's, it's like dragging him to the dentist, really. Yeah. And I think like that is, it's just not their style. But my sister's concept is more like, hey, like, let's give them an experience that they're like, that they don't get to experience otherwise. Right. right. Okay. And then mine is much more grounded in like practical realities. Sure. You know? And that's harder. I think that's a harder line. I think thinking of like expansive opportunities are easier to think about rather than like, what do they actually need? Mm -hmm. Because it has to hit this like fine point of like, they need it, but they're not inclined to buy it for themselves. Yes. That's a very hard, it's like, it's like, those are the best gifts I feel like, but it's a very hard needle to thread. Agreed. Like, yes, I've had a lot of miss. Uh, gifts like I'm thinking about one time I was in Japan and I got I, I was like really enamored with this like all these like you know how like Koreans like have panchan they eat a lot of panchan mm-hmm. so those like small plates you know and then so I was really intrigued by this like set of small plates in Japan mm-hmm. and I carried it over I mean it was a pretty big set so it was like pretty heavy and I brought it back from Japan and I gifted it and 
that was like the one time my mom was like, oh my God, please don't ever get these these kinds of things again. Really? <laughs> it's like, it didn't like, first of all, it didn't match anything that they had. Um, it's like, basically, it's just like collecting dust in a corner. It's like that. Wow. Really, it was like an, 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 a gift idea I was excited about, but it's something that they never actually use. Got you. So it's just sitting in a corner somewhere. But some of the greatest hits, I think, were like, I got her an office chair for her work. Um, she was just sitting on some regular chair. Mm. And exactly that's exactly what I mean. It's like yes. an office chair, like a nice one that's comfortable. Uh-huh. It's not necessarily something that you're going to get yourself. You're going to look at your chair and be like, that chair is fine. I don't yeah, need to it, spend it'll money work. on a really nice chair. Yeah. It'll work. It works. I'm not here all the time. Da, 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 da. So it's like, I got an office chair. And I think she still sits in that office chair like 15 years later or something. It's probably time for a new office chair. That's like a perfect, that's like such a good, that's like such a good immigrant parent gift, right? Because your immigrant parent is going to be like, this chair is perfectly sufficient, right? But you as their American-born child is like, no, but it could be so much better. And then giving them something, giving them that improved experience that they would never give themselves, like, "Mm, that's good. That is a flawlessly executed gift. So this, I think... Liz, if I were to provide any kind of advice for the listeners out there, mm-hmm. this is like um, this is a gap that we can fill as like people who are just a bit more tech, tech literate than our parents. Mm-hmm. There's so many tech solutions out there that's beyond even their imagination. Maybe they've heard about it and they're like, "Oh, that's cool," but they would never think about bringing it into their house, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm saying like we fit this like yeah, we fit this like whole gap. Like we we have like a, a, an endless amount of tech that we take for granted, but mm-hmm. maybe they don't know anything about. Yeah. And that's also a little tricky because it has to be simple interface. Right, right? exactly. It can't be like um so this year for example, I think this is a perfect immigrant parent gift mm-hmm. along the lines of the office chair. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting a, a Roomba this year. Incredible. Right? They would never get a Roomba. They would no. never get a Roomba. My mom is like, no, what are you talking about? I'm getting on my knees and I'm like washing this floor. Like, why would I need a Roomba? I'm uh-huh. like, exactly. This is yeah. exactly why yeah. you need a Roomba. You could have right? this robot vacuum for you. That's right. And then one year I bought my dad, like he he used to, before Netflix came into his life, he watched a lot of like pirated Korean shows on his computer. Uh-huh. So I think this is actually I have to give credit to my sister. She she gave them she gave him a really nice set of headphones, Ooh. which he like wore out within a year and a half. So yeah, I think the world of tech has has proved to be useful. Anything sentimental, no, not has not worked for my parents at all. I don't have really? grand, they don't have grandkids. Oh yeah, okay, that's really the ace. That is truly the ace. Yeah. But but then I'm yeah. always like, is it? I just feel like it's cheating if I just like get. I I feel like the kids. That should be from the kids, not from me. I shouldn't just be like passing off my children's artwork or photographs as like something that I put effort and time and thought into. It only goes so far, those grandkid presents. Um, Something I'm curious for you too, like do your parents have weirdness about you spending money on them or like buying things for them? Yes. If it's like expensive, Mm -hmm. their first reaction is just like, what are you what are you doing what uh-huh. what why why are you spending this like it's like basically i mean every every like family's different right so maybe there are some parent some some kids who like you know work at apple or something they make tons mm. of money and it's mm-hmm. like you know the, the financial differential but that's not the case in my family in my family it's like it's always been my my parents been doing well for themselves always supporting my sister and i up until this point you know mm-hmm. and so that dynamic is you know it's not like, you know, now I'm like self-sufficient and all that kind of stuff. But 
you know, especially I did grad school and I've been in school for a long time. And so their support was always there. So whenever it's like I would spend a lot of money on a gift, they'd be like, why are you wasting your like you need this money? In order to eat <laughs> yeah. food. It's like they see this gift and it's like food out of my mouth. Yeah. Like, Don't yeah. do this anymore. That's another parameter that makes it hard to buy a gift for them because it has to be like under a certain money value. Yes. Which is ironic and weird. But yes. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Like I've never fully understood parents who are like, oh, or people who are like, oh, my parents like really expensive things and they expect that from me. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I'll, I'll get yelled at if I do that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I have yet, I mean, I think some of my friends who are like financially very cush, like I think that their parents are more open to receiving nice presents from them. Um, right. But like, I feel like even now my parents are like, you have, you have kids, like you need to be like saving for college. Like there are so many things and they know that like, you know, childcare is expensive. Like they spent so much on childcare. So even now I feel like I'm not, I, I it, yeah, it can't be too expensive, which is fine. Like I'm not in any rush of like breaking the bank to like for on a present for them but yeah it is so that that is another dynamic I feel like that can complicate it because it has to be I think because like you said like they're used to like providing for us and doing things for us like Mm -hmm. I feel like when we try to reciprocate it's sometimes not received well or they even get like offended by it right like I remember once we talked about this before maybe but like I tried to pick up the tab for dinner once and my dad was like don't do that like Mm. (laughs) this is almost like what are we a white family like no like this is you're never gonna do that (laughs) and yeah going back to the whole immigrant mentality thing right like money is always seen as just so like, why Why are you wasting on such like frivolities? Like, mm-hmm. what is this? You know, mm-hmm. like practical things only, winter coats for your kids. Like, you know. Truly. Um, oh my God. You know, and if, if you have all all of it, like if you have everything you need, then why aren't you saving this? Yes, like, why are exactly. you wasting it on these? Like, exactly. Again, these white people holidays, don't do it anymore. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do they get, how do they gift for you? I mean, recently, I think it's just been cash. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like there's no sentimentality to it, but she's just straight up like, this is the thing that will make you make it easier for you. So here is cash, you know, in my family, it's been more me like I have to like set certain boundaries about them helping me, which is, you know, a good problem to have. But also it is a problem in the sense that if you feel like you always have this safety net, Mm -hmm. then you you are spoiled in a lot of different ways in like your mentality, in terms of like your understanding about the value of money and so oftentimes i have to like put the brakes myself you know Mm -hmm. so it's like hey like hey do you want this or do you want me to pay for this or do you want this money to go on that trip or whatever even when i'm self-sufficient it's Mm -hmm. like no i don't please stop you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but christmas is the time when my parents can sort of give me money without me having to like put up a huge fuss about it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes so much sense to me. It's like the time of year when it is socially appropriate for them to give you money. That's right. Whereas like them giving you money on a Tuesday in June is not appropriate. No, which, it's not. Which you understand and I understand, but they do not always understand. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I think that is something that is, God, that is just such immigrant kid realness. Like, I I feel the same way about taking money from my parents. And I think that there are plenty of people who would be like, why? But like, I think for me, 
well, one, there's the fact that they supported me for like such a long time, like through grad school that I'm just like, truly your work is done. But I also feel like with money comes power, right? And I feel like even though they have never explicitly said this, I feel like they would feel somewhat entitled to have a say in how the money is spent if I were to use it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even though I know that they would be happy to help with things like buying our house, like we did not ask my parents for money for help buying the house because they would have been happy to provide it if I had asked. And if we lived in a more expensive area, like we might have had to. But for me, like just having the psychological freedom to like get something that met only the criteria that me and my spouse had was like very helpful for me. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So that's how it is for me. Gosh, I feel like again we're just hitting the. We're just scratching the surface. We could. I I feel like presents from my parents is like, it's like such an immigrant thing. Like your parents like not being great at getting you presents, is like a very immigrant kid thing. You know what I mean? Because like they are all about practicality, which is like not right. you know. So it's like not particularly meaningful a lot of the times. And like sometimes like they don't really know you that well as a person because you are yeah. a role, right? Not to say that they don't love yeah. you or they don't like know you, like they know you, but like they they are not attuned to like what would make you happy and to, to form in the form of a gift, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the gifts I've gotten from my parents have been like wildly hit or miss. And so, which is why, like, I'm very, like, my my parents for Christmas, like, always ask, like, they ask for Santa letters, and I love them for it, because then we know what we're getting from them. And when they go mm-hmm. off script, wildly varying results. I always appreciate the sentiment, and I always appreciate the generosity. Like, they are wonderful in that way, but sometimes I'm just like, this is maybe not what I would have chosen for myself, you know? So... <laughs> You know what was a good gift? Uh, one of the hits, I'd say. Uh-huh. Uh, I got them, I got my parents both Fitbits one year. Oh, dude, Asian parents fucking love Fitbits. Oh yeah, my God. It's so good. It's so good. I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be as big of a hit. I just thought it made look stylish or whatever. But all uh-huh. of a sudden they were walking more. They were like wow. calling me on their walks. Their health was getting better. That's and they were so like, good. they were like doing competitions with each other on the walking. And I'm like, this is a, this is an ace. That's amazing. If you out there have not used the Fitbit trick, do the Fitbit. That yes. is that is a good gift. Yes, as long as your parents yes. don't have Apple Watches, which I believe mine do, or my mom does, so I can't, mm, I can't play that true. card. But my mom, she's so funny. She was like, I'm so curious about how many steps your child takes. Because she would just like, like um, this is like such a first-time grandma thing, but like, she would just like watch him like running after me and how like every one of my steps was like four of his steps. So she got me a Fitbit and was like, I want to see how many steps your kid takes. And I was like, then give him a Fitbit. I don't need one. Oh, so uh, good. Yeah. But yeah, so no, what is that? What is it about Haitian parents and Fitbits? But I think it's also, I have to say, it's, it might also be a status marker a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Yes. I noticed that some of these like, you know, my parents' peers when I see them with Fitbits, they do have a slightly like cool techie edge to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're kind of in the know, you know, mm-hmm. it's like they drive, you know, they have a Fitbit, they drive a Tesla. They're like, you know, kind of the, with it. The signals. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's so, so I think the Fitbit has hit that 
community in a certain kind of way. That's super just interesting. A just a theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that though, that it actually motivated them towards like better health. Like that's incredible. That's a, that's a great yeah. gift. You know what I want to frame as a gift one year? I want to frame like, you know how those, I think there are ways to like install like remote access things, right? Like you can like control their computer from uh-huh. where you are. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I think that would be a great gift because I cannot tell you, it's like for the life of me, if I can find a way to box the knowledge of how to attach a document into an email and send it. If I could just like that, if I could just like put that in a perfume bottle and squirt it, you know, to, to so that they knew that that would be the perfect gift because that is like their number three anxiety in life. It's like number one is like me dying. Number two is like my sister dying. And number three is attaching documents to an email and sending it. Oh my God. Do they call you every time? Every time. And it's like, they, they, they hang up the phone before I can like walk them through because they're like, forget it. It's too hard. It's too complicated. Forget it. And they just hang up the phone. Incredible. Incredible. That's so good. So basically it's like something to, so that you could see what's on their screen, manipulate their No, that I can do it for them. That I can, I can go into their remote computer and like remotely and do it. Well, that's dangerous technology though. Like, do you want to know what's in there? I mean, it's just pirated Korean dramas. I mean, there's nothing else. <laughs> as far, as, far as you know, man. Ooh. Maybe I don't. I'm just Maybe saying. I'm just power. saying. I could, but I mean, who has time? Like, who has time to, like, dig through other parents' documents? I'm sure you have better things to do. But yeah. I would not want access to my parents' computer, mostly because it's, like, full of, like, downloaded, like, wallpaper apps that, like, I'm sure come with, like, all this malware on them. And I just, uh, it's it's very stressful. It's very stressful to use their computers, so I will I will leave them to their own devices on that front. Uh, I'm like <laughs> terrified when I go home to even like open my dad's computer because I like I feel like if I touch his computer, I'm gonna catch like a venereal disease or something. Oh it's god, like- oh god, oh man. Okay, so truly just scratch the surface. Like we did not even talk yeah. about the complications of gift giving for other people beyond our parents, but this these will be topics we will revisit at a later time. Oh, we have to. Yes. In the meantime, let's move to our top five, which is on another seasonally relevant topic, holiday songs. Ooh. How do you feel? Are you like a love to hate? Are you like hate to love? Or are you like unambiguously in love with holiday songs? Um, I'm pretty neutral. I'm not, yeah, I'm not one of those people who starts playing them the minute that November 1st rolls around. I'm also not one of those people who hates the people who start playing them as soon as November 1st rolls around. I enjoy them when they're around. Mm-hmm. I like a I like a festive vibe, but I I'm neither clamming for them nor disdaining them. How about you? Okay. I am I hate I hate how much I love them. Oh, wow, complex. Yeah, yes. I I have to admit that setting that Christmas mood is is magical, can I say? Yeah. yeah. It was hard for me to come up with just five. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So as the holiday song connoisseur, maybe you should close us today. Okay. Okay. What's okay. your What's your top five? I'm eager to hear. Okay. My number five is Baby It's Cold Outside, Ooh. which is very inappropriate. It is a holiday. <laughs> yeah. It's a holiday song about sexual coercion. And all arguments for its cancellation are fully warranted. However, 
when I was in middle school, this beloved teacher named Mrs. Prosperi put up a musical medley variety show every year. And when I was in seventh grade, I sang Baby It's Cold Outside with Mike Grindham, whom I and all of my friends had a crush on. And it was a highlight of my life up to that point. <laughs> like, so thrilling. So there is truly no universe in which it would be appropriate in 2020 for two seventh graders to be singing the song. But this was 1995 when it was both encouraged and applauded. So even though... Nobody knew what it was about back then. I mean, I feel like it was fairly clear what it was about back then, but it was like the inappropriateness of it all was lost on us. It felt just flattering, right? Um, so even though the song of the, is absolutely the worst... In the increasingly rare times when I hear it, it makes me smile and it takes me to a bygone era of tween crushes. Wow. You know, of all the songs that I was like absolutely sure would not make your top five list, this was the one. I am shocked, but I can, I totally get the whole nostalgia aspect. It's very powerful. It is. It is. Um, Early crushes. Uh, highly controversial number five. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. My number four is Hallelujah, the Pentatonix version, which is on their 2016 Christmas album. I feel like all five of them, all five of our things could be Pentatonix. Truly. So good. Truly. Like, acapella is the perfect form for holiday. It's a perfect medium for holiday songs, I feel like. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Pentatonix is incredible, obviously, in terms of like talent, arrangements, like they are top notch. And Hallelujah is a stunningly beautiful song. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And I've never seen it framed before as a Christmas song before they put it on this album. And I don't know if it was merely the presence of the word hallelujah that made them think that this would be an appropriate Christmas song. But whether or not it was intentional or like shoehorned in or whatever, like I really love the framing of it as a Christmas song because like the song is about like it's like there's like real darkness in the song, right? And there's real pain. Mm -hmm. And I just like the idea of a holiday song that acknowledges like that it's like fucking complicated. And it's not like the holidays mm. are not just all like joy and mirth and like peppermint mochas, but like they're very complicated and they're often like lo very like lonely and tragic times for people. So... Mm. The framing of this as a holiday song, I thought was really, really like it, it. I appreciated that perspective, and the song itself is gorgeous. Um, the music video is awesome, so that's my number four. My number three is the soundtrack to a Charlie Brown Christmas by the Vince Guaraldi Trio. Mm, okay. So, a Charlie Brown Christmas is iconic. 
this album is iconic. Like listening to this album is how I know the holidays have arrived. Like it immediately conjures up images from the special, like that sad Christmas tree and all the children dancing and singing with their noses way up in the air. Um, and I really love that like the music evokes this whole range of holiday emotions, holiday joy, holiday melancholy. The fact that it's jazz makes it like, it just, it's a very like unique sound. It's iconic. So mm -hmm. one of the defining features of the holidays is this album for me. Nice, nice. My number two is Oh Holy Night. Um, not specifically performed by anyone, but I went to grad school at a seminary where I spent all this time like questioning and deconstructing my faith and a lot of religious tradition lost meaning for me at that time because I was like thinking about it all the time. And one year a friend invited me to go with her to a Christmas concert um, from like a, the California Philharmonic or something like that. And because of the deconstruction and because like the general stress of grad school runs up until like December 21st, I just like was not feeling Christmas really. But then the orchestra played this hymn and the lyrics were written in the program. And I saw some that I had never seen or heard before. Like the second verse is, it goes like this. It's like, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And in that moment, I was like, there it is. That's what we're celebrating. Like all of these songs about babies and stars, like I, I, I can leave all of those, but like what we're really celebrating here is like the person of Jesus who was a revolutionary who came to end injustice and overturn oppressive systems. Like I, I get it now. Like I'm here for that. And this is what Christmas is about. So like the baby in the manger and the nativity scene, like that's not my entry point anymore. Like this is my entry point now. Mm -hmm. That is a highly, a highly emotional song. Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. It is. And if it's, perf I mean, yeah. When it's performed well, like the ending can be like the, the, the way that the ending goes up that octave and the music swells. Like it is beautiful. And it also has this like deeper meaning that I, that I can get behind. I feel like this helped me connect Christmas to like, my actual faith in like a, a way that made sense for the first time in that stage of my life. Oh, so. that's lovely. That's oh, lovely. Thanks. But that's not my number one because number one is All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. <laughs> I don't want a lot for Christmas. The queen of Christmas. Truly, truly the queen of Christmas. And there's literally, there's nothing to say about this. Like, it is the best Christmas song of all time. Pop perfection. Tone, tempo, melody, lyrics, solo, background vocals. It is the perfect Christmas song. <laughs> it is good enough to be played all year round. And yes. rumor has it that Mariah wrote it in 15 minutes. All of which goes to show that Mariah is the rightful queen of Christmas. Oh, uncontested. Truly, truly. Yeah. So 
that's my top five. And uh, I'm I... in the mood. I'm in the mood. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear your list. Okay. I'm a big fan of hymns. So I have like okay. a couple of those in my list. Um, the first one is a hymn. Um, Good King Wenceslas. Whoa. I know. Christopher, I, know, I, I did know. not see that coming. I have never heard that name pronounced correctly. Is that correct? I don't even know. I mean, maybe. I've never heard it pronounced, period. Good King Wenceslas looked out. Oh! Yeah, that's that's right. Oh, that's the one. I didn't know yeah. the song had a name. Okay, I got okay. you, I got you. I had heard the song before, but then I think when I fell in love with it was in Love Actually, oh, when the yes. Prime Minister, Hugh Grant, is going around looking for Natalie, uh-huh. and then he's knocking <laughs> on all these doors, and these three little girls, like, answer the door and they're like oh please sing us a carol <laughs> yeah. are you singing carols uh no no i'm not please sir please please well i mean i suppose i could please all right Yay! and then he sings this one good king Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen. And then his driver or whoever is next to him just all of a sudden just busts out this like bass. deep rich bass. <laughs> yeah. When the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even brightly shone the moon that night. I mean, it's like, what the hell? And I was like, this. so whenever I hear that song, I love that scene. Yeah. I mean, love actually is like a problematic fave of so mine, right? So problematic, but so fave. It's a true I hate to love movie. Yes. I hate yes. that I love it, but yes, it's there. Uh, my number four is from The Nutcracker, The Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah. Remember how that goes? It's a magical tune. Puts me in the mood right, in the, right away. Right? It is it's peak so Christmas. Like, well, it is, yeah. The entire Nutcracker thing, but this is like the peak song of the Nutcracker, right? Yes, so. yes. Um, that's my number four. My number three is also Peanuts, Linus and Lucy. Oh, by Vince Guaraldi. Which I didn't know, by the way. I didn't know that was a name behind it. I just saw, I only see, like, I really genuinely thought it was that cartoon character that was playing the piano. Schroeder. By Schroeder himself. I don't know who this, <laughs> I don't know who this Vince person is, but it's obviously this cartoon character who's playing the piano. But yeah, just like you, I think you, this is your number three too, right? Yes. Yeah. As soon as that first note is played, I mean, it's such a unique soundscape, right? Um, I, I don't think I've heard anything quite like it, just like the combination and everything and just nostalgic 100%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that. That's my number three. Yeah. My number two is You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. Oh, wow. Okay. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a hero. I just You're love, like, how, like how negative it is you know <laughs> and it, it it's such a curveball at christmas all these things about like um like wanting to be with people you love and the end the ending lyrics of this is that you're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich 
Arsenic sauce. Wow. What other Christmas song has that as it, the ending lyric? None. Not a single one. Yeah. I, I can just imagine whoever wrote it just had the most fun with it. So yeah. Like, come up with all the insult to this foul one, Mr. Grinch. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's my number two. And my number one is the queen herself, Mariah Carey, mm-hmm. and her version of Oh Holy Night. Oh, so what you said, what? yeah, you have a generic version. You said any sung by anyone, but mine has to be sung by Mariah. And how dare anyone even try to sing this song if you're not oh, Mariah wow. Carey? Wow. Yeah, it, I'm very protective of it because you talk about that octave note, yes. right? Yes. And it's like she doubled. It's like a what's what's the double of an octave? Like she hits like a sixteenth note at the end of her version. You know which version I'm talking about? I do know the one. Yeah, which does not have the ver- probably because that's the only one I ever heard, and then I didn't. It didn't have that verse that I mentioned. But I mean, hers is an iconic version. Right. Right. Um, so even just the audio of it, but the music video, she's in a church. You know, she's backing it up, and it's become sort of a tradition in our household to listen to it once a year. Mm. Like I come home for Christmas every year. I, you know, I turn on like you know, I put it on like the big screen and on YouTube. Uh-huh. And it's like my my dad has like the memory of a goldfish. Uh-huh. And so every year he watches it and he's like, who's this? Yeah. It's like, oh, this is Mariah Carey. It's like, wow, she's got a really good voice. Amazing. Like, yes, yes. Like, who? And it's like, it's like, yeah, exactly who? Yeah. Maria this who? Is a really great performance. Maria. <laughs> every single year he just forgets that he's like blown away by it every year. It's so funny. It's like the, mem- the memento man or whatever. Incredible. He's just, Reliving that experience again and again. I so mean, it's kind how, of an annual tradition. At how all. magical for him that every year he gets to hear that for the first time. Yeah, and then he always requests that we play it again, like multiple times that year. So Aww. it's like not even just once a year. It's like he wants to hear it consecutively four years in a row because he thinks it's amazing. Like first of all, it's set in a church, and that's his whole vibe. Like he loves these kind of like church settings, and so yeah it's a magical experience for him every year because he forgets that he watched it the year before incredible <laughs> incredible yeah as you said truly enviable in some ways that's right yeah that's right oh so my gosh is. this was such ugh, this a plus i love this <laughs> i can't wait to watch all of these music videos as soon as we're done recording oh absolutely i've already lined them up <laughs> We're solidly in December. We're totally allowed to play these. Yes, yes. All after, as soon as Thanksgiving is done, on like once we start like putting. And this year we were all like racing to put decorations up, right? Because we have all this time and like we've fucking earned the holidays this year. So yeah, this list was a joy to put together. So what should we do next time, Chris? What should our top five be? So we are approaching the end of 2020, which um, can come soon enough. And um, as we know, things have just completely changed this year um, in good ways or in bad ways, but also in some ways that are are good, right? Some some things have changed that I we think that should just remain changed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. So the next week, let's talk about the top five things we're never going to do again after 2020. I already have several. Really? I can't think of. I mean, there's like I just want life to get back to normal. So I I'm like, okay, what what ways have I changed permanently? You know? Yeah. We'll we'll see. I'll have to put some thinking into it. Ah, <sighs>、uh, well, this was fun. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. See you in two weeks. <laughs>